0: Welcome to Stories from the Influencer Economy. Here with me today is James Altucher. James, welcome.
1: Ryan, thanks so much for having me on your podcast. It's great to be here. I've, I, I see on your podcast that uh, almost everyone I know has been on your I'm like the last person of my list of people I know that is on your podcast.
0: Yeah, I went early. And actually, it's funny because I get I, I got connected to all those people like Tucker Max and Jason Gaynard, AJ Jacobs, all through different people and different avenues, and so it just sort of happened serendipitously that I emailed you at this stage in the game. But I've wanted to have you on for a those while. Those so. three,
1: those three alone are among my closest friends. Like so, and then you have Adam Grant on. You've, you've, had, you've had you know Paul Jarvis. You've had so many people that I know on the oh, yeah. podcast.
0: Paul Jarvis is great. Adam Grant actually was more. He was an early guest back when I really. Didn't even know what I was doing, and he agreed to come on for a half hour and did a spectacular job.
1: Well, Adam and I both just spoke one after the other at AJ's uh, family reunion.
0: Oh, that's right, both AJ talks Jacobs.
1: at the family reunion, and Tucker, yeah. I'm about to go to a conference with and uh, give a talk.
0: Yeah, Adam was great. Like his his book, Give and Take, has fundamentally changed how I perceive business and situations, and like actually given me like the belief that actually doing the right thing and helping others gets you farther in life.
1: I agree. And you know, what's really good too, Um, not to throw suggestions at you, but uh, Chris Hadfield, who's the astronaut who sang space oddity on the space station. And he's spent 160 days in space. He wrote uh, a book. I, I, if I remember the title correctly, it's an astronaut's guide to earth. Uh, And he has some stuff similar to Adam Grant, but more from his experience as an astronaut, and it's it, it's a great read.
0: Oh, cool. Okay. Well, I just realized something. I uh, had not hit record. Uh, <laughs> so I, the, uh,
1: that's okay. I'm recording.
0: Okay, cool. Because the last two minutes, and I uh, had spilled coffee on my old computer, and uh, I'm using my wife's right now. So
1: that's okay. I'll anyway. Not, not only am I going to send you this recording, but you should keep all of this conversation in the podcast, is my advice. I
0: love it. I never edit this stuff out unless the other person asks me to.
1: Yeah, no, um. never edit.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Stories from the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams. So excited that you're here for episode number 55. My guest this week is James Altucher. Wanted to remind everyone real quick, Ryan at Influencer Economy is my email. I respond to every question I get from listeners trying to start podcasts the fastest and most best way I can. I want to pay it forward for people that helped me with my podcasting startup. Wanted to help you with yours. Also have an action guide for starting a podcast as well as marketing your show to your audience. So feel free to hit me up, Ryan, at com. I'm on Twitter at Ryan J. Will. And finally, if you're listening on iTunes, please hit the subscribe button would love to have you in for the long haul and leave a review. It really helps us immensely with discoverability in the Apple iTunes store. So James was an awesome guest. Definitely uh, enjoyed this interview. So please, without further ado. Never edit. No, I, I, your show is great. You're on the Stansberry Network. And uh, I've wanted to have you on because I think Choose Yourself is a phenomenal book. It's uh, what's what 's inspiring for me is i 'm a writer and i 'm actually going through the process right now of writing my book i 'm talking to agents uh hopefully some are not listening because i 'm strongly considering going the professional self publishing route that you went through
1: I think you know uh, you know it 's very important to realize that in you're when an agent takes you on you 're not really the agent's client like the the agent sees you once and then maybe never sees you again, but the agent sees the main four or five publishers every day. So those are his real, that's where his interests really lie. So that's, you know, be careful when you have an agent and be careful going the traditional publishing route.
0: Well, one of the remarkable things actually to your point is like, what's inspiring about, you know, choose yourself and you talk about self-publishing books uh, on your own is that I've, Learned so much from Paul Jarvis and Adam Grant and Tucker Max about growing your email list and helping people and building community and creating bridges that are essentially just me being myself. But I think you know the indirect ROI is that it's opening up channels for me to help market the book once they come out. And just having a podcast and getting wired in, into this world is such a uh, educational experience about how books are sold and, and bought these days. And some of your conversations with Tucker – about how you self published choose yourself and with you know working with his team and editing it yourself, and in the end, I think you spent money on designing your book. is that right for choose yourself and the rest of it
1: yeah i mean i I wrote the book, but then I hired editors, designers, marketers, you know the people to lay it out for the Kindle, the whole thing
0: yeah well I, before we get into the the deep dive of the self publishing realm, I want to talk to you about the book itself because what struck me is like you're, you're definitely, you expose yourself in a way that, you know, you make yourself a lot more vulnerable than a lot of authors, especially in the business environment. And specifically towards the end of your book, you talk about the year of 2012 and talking about failure within that. And I'm going to read that year for you, just a few of the bullet points and uh, about times you failed. And you talked about, you tried to buy 1 billion barrels of oil for someone and failed. Three companies you invested in, you had to write off as zeros. You sold a house and lost $800,000, just to, and you were just glad to get rid of it. Your oldest teenager became a daughter, and this resonates with me. And that you said that that's, a, that's actually not a great thing, and it's failing because you'll never have those old years again with your, your baby. Your mother accused you of killing your father and will no longer speak to you, and both your sisters no longer speak to you. That's a lifetime within yeah. one year.
1: Yeah, that was 2012.
0: I mean, how did you
1: And that and that was a good year for me.
0: <laughs> you were, things were on the up and up. Um what what like why why get so real and honest when you write? Cuz for me it's it resonates and I understand if it does for others, but but why why you writing so frankly about your life? Like why do you do it?
1: Well, a couple of reasons. One is There's all these like crappy business books out there. Is it okay for me to say that on your podcast? Yeah,
0: absolutely. No, I can. Tucker Max was on. So believe me. This is free flowing.
1: So there's all these like really awful business books out there. And actually, I'm even going to take the ones that are not awful. There are a lot of mediocre business books out there. And I sort of feel like, who are these people? And I don't ask it in a bad way, but like, Oh, they say okay to be a leader, inspire your employees, and uh, to be uh, you know a good leader. Um, I don't know, give gifts to everybody or uh, always follow up with your clients. Like, who are these people to give them such bland advice? And they don't tell their stories. They don't tell me if they've had experience being readers. If I look in their bios, it looks to me like they were just. Um, uh, writers uh, and they're not and maybe they were business writers but they never ran businesses I want to feel that there's something deep down that they're drawing from that they're actually telling me this is this was a pain point for me and I'm reaching into that pain point kind of digging through it and analyzing it and then here's what I did or did not do to overcome this problem and I'm going to tell you about it so then it's up to the reader whether this is something they're going to pay attention to or not. So nobody should be giving advice. Even if you're like, you know, Warren Buffett or whatever, don't give advice. Just tell me what you did and what works for you. And, you know, let's say I decide to write about Warren Buffett. I'm not going to just write about, you know, here's what Warren Buffett did. I'm going to say, here's what Warren Buffett did. Here's what I think about what he did. Now, people might not care about what I think about what he did, but that's still – everything is in a context. So whenever you read like a biography of someone, it's really in the context of who is writing about that person and what their experiences are and how they're reacting to the biography of that person. So then you give the reader as much information as possible to say, "Okay, uh, this guy or woman went through this experience. Now he or she is – explaining what happened and how they came through it. Uh, and I think I'm gonna pay attention to that. you know So you have someone who's like an intro- let's say someone who's introverted but wants to succeed in business can understand Susan Kane's book Quiet because she felt introverted herself and had to deal with this issue. Or you know in Adam Grant's case, you know he, he tell you know the reason why his book is such a success, it's because he's telling his own personal story as well as all the academic research on give and take. The reason why Freakonomics is such a success is because the writer and, and Stephen Dumner and The Economist, they actually get into the minds of all, all of their subjects rather than just telling the flat-out economics research. So you have, to, you have to also be storytelling so people really resonate with the stories as well as opposed to just giving this bland advice.
0: So for you and your books, specifically choose yourself, then you were creating a narrative where you had problems and you're showing people how they broke through.
1: Maybe I had problems, maybe I didn't. I, I you gave a list of events. I'm not saying any of those things are problems. Maybe many people are very grateful when their siblings stop talking to them. <laughs> right. So so I am not I'm not giving any interpretation. It's up to the Interesting. reader.
0: So yeah, okay. Well, I'm not I, I, they, I don't
1: say 2012 was horrible for me. I just said, this is what happened to me in 2012. Interesting. It actually was when I mean, you were great- just
0: talking right now. I was thinking as an entrepreneur that you were writing a book, like you, most oftentimes you build a technology product and you say, there's a problem in the market. I don't think people can get efficient taxis. So then someone's like, let's make an on-demand car service, Uber or Lyft. And I was thinking maybe you were solving your own problems through the book, but it sounds like you're not at all.
1: Well, I am, and then other people can choose. You know, whether like in that in that particular case, I had a great twenty twelve because I had already been applying my practice, and it didn't. These bad things happen to people all the time. Okay, it might not be um, as extreme in some cases, and maybe even more extreme. Uh, You know, bad thing bad things happened to me yesterday or last week or whatever. But you have to deal with them and learn to deal with them. So I just kind of told lots of stories. Here's all these different things that happened to me in business, in relationships, more in business, more in relationships, in investing, and so on, um, or in publishing, in choosing myself. These are kind of good and bad things that happened to me and how I dealt with them. So I wrote another book, for instance, called The Power of No. It's it, and, and it's about you know what happens to you and and the power that happens to you when you start saying no more often and it's not because i'm so great at saying no it's actually because i've always been really bad at saying no to people and i kind of had to learn for myself for my own survival to start saying no to people and it's it you tend to write books about what you yourself want to learn and experience and then what you go through and how you got to the other side. So, you know, you're doing a podcast and a book on the influencer economy. It's not only because you speak to a lot of influencers. I'm assuming it's also because you're, built, you're trying really hard and building yourself up and using all the techniques and tactics to make yourself an influencer. Which you are, which is how you get you know, all these people on your podcast and so on. Uh, so so you, what I'm reading in the, the title of your book and podcast, it's not about all these other influencers. It's about you and your quest uh, on the way to becoming an influencer.
0: That, that's true. I mean there's definitely a lot to say around that. Like I talked – when I talked to AJ Jacobs, you know, he's a human guinea pig uh, and he was you know, telling me about how his – it's like he can only research so much. But he needs to do certain things hands-on, like live biblically for a year, for example. And for me, like, I'm getting all these knowledges from people like Paul Jarvis. And you know, he he's this phrase where he says you need to find your rat people because he has he pet rats. And he has an email newsletter that goes out, as I'm sure you know, every Sunday. And he talks about his rat people as, and his rats because the rat people respect the fact that he has pet rats. And you can't uh, please everyone. And you can't go after the mass, mass market of people to buy your products or read your books. But if you find your rap people or the community of folks that actually like your content or that they believe in you at the very least, then that's the type of people you sell your products to. And it doesn't need to be 1 million people. It could be 10,000. But that 10,000 people, like you know, just talking about Kevin Kelly's book I, all the time on this podcast with 1,000 true fans, like if you, you only need 1,000 people to really believe in you. And it all starts just like one person at a time, and so I'm the ultimate case study for the book, and and I wanted to have published it last year, but I I think really I this last year and a half I've spent doing research, and you can't rush something like this, and I wanted to do it the right way, and the the longer I've taken to to research folks, so essentially I have, um, uh, twenty chapters with people, and they're different self published authors, they're different. Uh, Folks that are YouTubers that have built big million dollar businesses, like Freddie Wong, uh, people that I think are undervalued, and uh, and I don't mean that like you know in a disrespectful way. I think I think their stories are so important. Um, but someone like Freddie Wong doesn't fall in the tech sphere because he doesn't raise venture capital and he's not trying to get acquired by Google. And he makes online video this you know video game high school series which appeals to millennial gamers, but he doesn't he doesn't appeal to Hollywood because he crowdfunded. And so he doesn't get picked up by these media outlets. So I feel like there's this this great way, like in you know, choose yourself. It's like you got to pick where you fit in the world and just define your own terms. And I feel like I'll, there's a lot of themes in your book that completely resonated me with with the influencer economy.
1: Absolutely, like in 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 what, what you're calling the influencer economy, and I like that phrase a lot. You know, you build you build your own platform rather than kind of outsourcing platform. To the gatekeepers of platform so so a great example is um well a great examples in publishing so um i could publish my book and publish it to my platform and uh you know and a lot of people hate the word platform i don't care it's a it's a nice word to describe it i just
0: hosted a, an event at south by southwest called how to build your platform and a lot of people came and they the word resonates i mean that's because it's no longer about social media i believe it's about content and connections and people, and you can't just tweet your way through you know, building a business. You have to build content and structure and create habits for people to come back and you know see your YouTube videos, listen to your podcast, read your work on the blog. That's, that, all, all stuff you know.
1: Yeah, that's totally true. Like, I think the word "platform" has evolved uh, in some ways the same way Twitter has evolved. Like at first, people would tweet like what they had for lunch. Now there's kind of this ongoing world conversation that's happening. And so Twitter sort of evolved as a, as a medium and the word platform is involved too. It's not just kind of people who follow you uh, on these different social media platforms. It's really people who you engage with and who respect the message or, you, or who help you share a message that you have and you help them share the message they have. And that's a platform. I almost prefer to call it like a scene, like what's your, what's your scene? Because that helps build your platform as well. So, so, um, but, but the influencer. Well, well, so, so I can publish to my platform, and then if my book is good, uh, then word of mouth will keep keep it going. And if my book is not so good, then it'll. I, I need to figure out other ways to take advantage of having a published book. Uh, whereas if you publish to a publisher, they tell you, "Oh, we have this huge platform," but they don't really. Like what? What does the brand Random House mean, or Simon and Schuster? These brand, those, those brands don't stand for anything. There's no message, so they don't really have a platform. They have like an old school platform where they'll get your book in bookstores, but now more people are reading books through e-books and audio books than bookstores. So, I don't know what you know. So, what the only other thing publishers can do for you is give you an advance. Um, but advances on average are are going down, so kind of the use for for publishers is is going way down
0: totally there it 's almost like where the music industry was a few years ago back when you would you know throw out and drop an album and then it would get on a radio it would be sold in stores then iTunes came around and it was sold you know you still had like twelve tracks on iTunes and now you just you stream and you listen to one or two tracks, which you normally do did on an album anyway so if like the new like when the Strokes album came out like in the early 2000s, late 90s, I listened to that whole album back-to-back. Back. Or Wilco, when that came out, listened to the whole album back-to-back back for uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. But really, the norm is you listen to that hit single. And I feel like with books, it's almost like you need to be making content all the time anyway, like you do with your blog, you do with your podcast. And then you know the whole influencer model, I, I teach a class. It's about how to sell uh, products directly to your audience and we just talk about tactics, you know, building an email list and you know, helping to cultivate a community where you're creating consistent content. And there's there's different tracks and habits that you can build for yourself so people know that you're you're in this for the long haul. Cuz I think a lot of people what I've noticed even with podcasts is people email me and say, "Hey, I want to start a show." And they're not concerned, they don't understand that they need to build a scene or they need to build a platform. They just wait and they think that if they try something that suddenly you'll catch fire but as you know it's i mean it's take it takes years it takes years like of hard work of lonely work and you get one new email a week and you're excited but you know one new subscriber on iTunes and you're fired up and it's just not something that can happen quickly so the whole platform building is just like you have to be all in or all out you can't really halfway do it because it's just not going to work
1: right and it and it's never been different for, from that like people say oh well I'm an artist, so I'm just going to focus on painting or writing or whatever. It, it's never really been the case that an artist can just say that. Like, you know, for a thousand years, artists needed, um, you know, the Medici's to kind of uh, support them. Or Mozart needed to be, you know, in the emperor's, uh, you know, court to 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 support his music. Uh, you know, then we needed – Publishers, But now we need to build a platform. So instead of kind of cultivating the publishers, which is a lot of work, right? To, to get a publisher means you have to um, write a book, uh, sell yourself, sell your message and yourself and your book to an agent uh, who then – Proceeds to sell to a publisher, then and you have to meet all the publishers. Then you have to go in and meet the publishers. Then there's countless meetings and edits and change. Like it's not, it's never an easy process. Um, I think it's a more pleasant process when you quote unquote choose yourself and you choose your own platform. You build, you build your own platform by directly connecting with the people who subscribe to your message and and who you subscribe to their message. Again, a platform is not one to many. It's many to many. Like, uh, 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 we were talking earlier about how, you know, I know a lot of the people on your podcast. In part, it's because I've, like, worked with them in, in some capacity. You know, like AJ, we just spoke about, I spoke at his, you know, he, he, he's writing a book about the world's largest family reunion. I spoke at the world's largest family reunion right after Adam Grant spoke at it, you know, and... Tucker who we spoke about he you know Tucker and I have had a thousand conversations about self publishing and you know he's like the world's expert on publishing so all, all all these guys I've like I'm not only friends with but I've worked with them where we we form a scene and you know a great book I'm reading right now um by Judd Apatow you know the movie director
0: yes um
1: he was he's obviously very funny guy. All his movies are great. Uh, he also did a TV series that was great, Freaks and Geeks. He wrote it on the Larry Sanders Show. Yeah, uh, Freaks
0: and Geeks is so good.
1: Yeah, it was so good. Kind of like a, a cult favorite because it was canceled before the season was even over. But it was was one of the best TV series ever. And anyway, he wrote a he wrote a book that just came out two days ago um, or three days ago called Sick in the Head, where he just simply interviews um, all of these comedians. And one of the things you realize while he's interviewing them, he's interviewing, you know, Seinfeld, Jim Carrey, Ben Stiller, Louis C.K., Amy Schumer. One thing you realize as he's interviewing them is he's worked with all of them or worked side by side with all of them. Uh, and uh, it's because it's, – again, not only were these comedians in, to some extent his platform but they were his scene and that's what – that's contributed just as much to his success as having – you know, a, a, an audience that liked him was also having all of these really great comedians who were supportive of his success, and whose success he was supportive of. So, you know, no, you know, there's that saying, "No man is an island." There's also the myth of the lone genius. You know, guys like like Judd Apatow or Jerry Seinfeld or or anybody, n- nobody would have made would have been successful without their scene.
0: That's so fascinating because I think I totally agree. And it's like this; it's underrated that you people think you can do it on your own, and it's it's noble to try to do it by yourself. But you almost need a community of folks in some ways that either you come up together. Like I don't want to use the Rat Pack as the example because that's a very extreme case, but you need your your group, your your cohort, your your system of of people that you you all come up at the same time or around the same time, or you've helped each other along the way, and that's like your your bond where then you you've gone through this war and or, and I don't like using the war metaphor lightly but you've gone through this difficult time period where you've all struggled and then you've had some success and you realize like oh wow we did this you know around the same time and then you keep building and building off of that or you or you mentor someone i feel like Adam Grant's philosophy about just helping people and the data he did around people that work in offices like there's all these new moneyball type stats that people that mentor others at the office, people that stay late to work extra hard on projects, people that come in early to work hard on projects, like all these stats and data points that he actually applied metrics to is so fascinating because mentoring other people or giving back or paying it forward to, to folks that are just starting out now, like those are people that are part of your team. And it seems like that's something that you, it's like you think theoretically, oh, that makes sense but until you actually step back and look at it like that's the critical moments of your success like there's really a handful of people in life i think that open up some of the biggest doors and some of those people you just you don't even realize it's happening and the next thing you know like you've walked through it and you've you've chosen yourself or you've you've become who you are in this new context that would have never been possible if you didn't have that seam of people to help you.
1: Right. And don't forget, there's not only one door, like at any given point you might be work- going through 10 doors. So for instance, you're working on a book, but you have a podcast and the podcast may be, well, who knows where that goes? Maybe when you have enough episodes, it'll be, a, uh, you'll be doing a podcast, but you'll also be doing a, a channel on Sirius XM. Like who knows? Just, we don't know what, how these things are going to evolve. um, And meanwhile, your book might evolve into also doing a newsletter Uh, or, again, or or it might evolve into you having a speaking career or a consulting career or being on the board of directors of of any of the companies involved with the people you're interviewing on your podcast. So everything's connected and there's never any one thing you're going to do. Like you're not aiming all of this activity towards publishing one book. You're just aiming all of this to... Whatever. You're doing the best you can now, and it's Absolutely. just going to take the next step, which, which you don't you can't even predict.
0: No idea what it's going to be. We're, I'm making it up mostly as I go along, and I just had the blind faith. Luckily, I've married well, and uh, my wife is incredibly supportive of me.
1: That's very so, – that's actually one of the most important things you can do, and um, – like I, I, my wife is incredibly supportive. We work together on on almost everything. I, I yeah, also, you guys,
0: she's on your podcast, and you, yeah, refer we do a podcast
1: together. together. I just helped her with uh, a consulting gig that she was doing. She helps me with all of my stuff. Another great example is, you know, and I'm just going to keep referring to guests on your podcast, but like Tucker <laughs> just got married and had a kid. And what happens? Well, suddenly he's building a business. Like yep. he, he's tried to build businesses before. Now he's, now I see it. This is going to be it for him. This is a really good business. And I attribute it to the fact that he settled down.
0: I read, a, I read an article a uh, while back that was talking about like one of the underrated factors of startup founder success is having a partner who's, uh, who's supportive and on board and helps you get through the, the ups and downs of founding a company.
1: Yeah, because you know, starting a company is really, really hard. Like people think you should either be an employee or an entrepreneur. A, there's a lot of things in between being an employee and an entrepreneur. B, uh, an uh, entrepreneur is just like being an employee, except you created your own company, so you know, you be, and you made yourself have a job at it. And, but but the be- worst thing is, there's a known rate of failure. You're, you you have an eighty five percent percent chance of failing. So being an entrepreneur is incredibly difficult, and I'm not saying you shouldn't be one or somebody shouldn't be one. It's just – never underestimate how difficult it well, is. Well, I
0: thought actually uh, to say something about your book is I, I I laughed out loud when you talked about Justin Timberlake and the social network where, you know what's cool? A billion-dollar company You know, is this famous line, and you were saying, actually, you know what's cool? A million dollars, like st- straight up. Like if someone gave anyone a million dollars, they'd be excited about it, and there's this – narrative that resonates i live in los angeles especially when that movie came out where i worked for a lot of different startups helping you know and they were fanatical about the billion dollar company <laughs> or the billion dollar idea
1: yeah like, there's very is- few companies <laughs> that that sell for a billion like if you think about like normal economics in order for a company to sell for a billion you probably need a, a you know in a, in in the real world not in kind of like um uh, sort of a straight-up, you know, boom world. But, like, in the regular world of business, you probably need about $100 million in steady profits every year to be worth a billion dollars after, like, let's say 10 or 20 years. Now, in Silicon Valley, that's not the case because there's great anticipation of future profits. Uh, so it's unclear. I'm not saying there, – there, I don't think there's a bubble or anything. It's just every industry kind of catches its wave at different periods. So that's another way to be worth a billion. But like the classic way to be worth a billion is to have a hundred million a year in profits, which is incredibly difficult to do. Like very few companies, you know, a handful of companies have that kind of profits.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's 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 unrealistic. And there's this narrative that people think they should be an entrepreneur, they should start their own tech company. And in a lot of ways, the world doesn't really need mobile apps anymore. Like I think we have enough apps that have met our needs that people that put their resources and creativity that way are going to find more and more frustration. The market is more crowded. And I I personally think the new product, the new tech product is the book is the podcast is the content. And that's really where we're going is that, you know, a few years ago, everyone would say, Oh, I want to build a mobile app in Los Angeles. And now I think the trend will become people will say, I need to build that podcast or that book I want to write. It's now easier. There's book in a box. I have services where, you know, you can publish on your own. Like I think the new tech product is the content product.
1: Yeah, that could be. I, you know, I, I am not smart enough to predict. Um, I mean, I certainly enjoy writing and podcasting, and I always try to figure out what the business models are around around these things. Uh, and, and they're tough
0: business models to crack, as as are monetizing Twitter or you know, these large, big ideas, you know, startups.
1: Right, like like Twitter's a great example where Twitter's obviously a great business. I mean, I'm staring at a Twitter screen this very second, and you, not that it distracts me from this, it just happens to be on the screen in front of me. It was the last thing I looked at before starting the podcast.
0: And and, uh, and uh, at Dick C, Dick Costello, he wrote the uh, forward for your book.
1: Yeah, exactly. So t- I love Twitter. and Twitter's a great business. Uh, I think it's been actually very well managed. And, um, despite all the kind of current volatility in management and but is it worth twenty six billion dollars? I think the the world doesn't know, so I think that's where some of the confusion comes in. But separating out valuation from business, Twitter's like exactly where it should be they 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 They've built into a, a good um you know both journalistic and artistic medium
0: and when he wrote the book uh, forward was that something that you know you'd known him for a while because i imagine that it helped you know give you some social proof in the business world like was the, two questions one is had, had you known him a while and second one was like did it give you some social proof
1: so yes and yes but i'm not really the type of person like it's very, and and I, I wish this wasn't true about myself but it's very hard for me to ask people for a favor and this was yeah, a me case too. excuse me me too. Yeah, and so this was a case where I was asking the CEO of Twitter, okay, one of the biggest social media companies in the world. Even though I knew him, we've had we had breakfast a whole bunch of times, and we knew each other. I if I went out there, I would visit him. If he went out to New York, he'd visit me. But uh, it it was very very hard. It probably took me six hours to compose a three line email asking him to write the forward, and I was. Like practically (laughs) practically crying. I was so stressed doing it. Yeah. And, um, he said, uh, you know, I don't, I never do this, but of course for you, I will do this. And then that's it. Then I didn't hear from him again. And, you know, I really needed to publish the book. Like, and I, so I finally wrote to him and said, don't worry about it. I'm just, I, I, I don't even want a forward. I don't even need a forward. Like I was just nice about it. You know, no hard feelings. Give me a call next time you're in the city. Um, and uh, then I watched a video uh, of a speech he made, and I basically said, you, I wrote back to him right away, and I said, and this was like at 2 in the morning, uh, I said, you know, I, I just watched this speech you made, it's really great, like, you know, you say some things that fit so much my message, and he and he was like, oh, I'm glad you like that speech, I'm really sorry about the forward, uh, is there anything I can do? And I'm like, well, how about, uh, let's kind of take a chunk of this speech, and I'll Combine it with you know some other stuff that you've done, and uh, that'll be the forward. And he said, "That's great, do it." (laughs) He's making
0: it easier for him.
1: Yeah, so I I made it as easy as possible, and so that's. He's busy,
0: you know, but he wants to do it.
1: He he approved it, and uh, you know, he signed off on the final on the final version, of course. And uh, but I was really happy. He 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 then ended up writing the forward, but. but it was hard for me, and I, I actually thought about um, my wife and I both thought about writing a book called "The Power of Ask," just because we had to kind of go through so many different techniques in our lives to ask people things.
0: Well, I've actually emailed you a few times to be on the podcast.
1: Oh yeah, let me see.
0: I've emailed you at least one other time.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna search my emails.
0: And then, um, I emailed you. Did I respond? After the eight-
1: I responded to the last one, obviously.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Well, this one had more context because. AJ recommended I reach out to you. The other one was completely blind. Like I have, I have the art of the podcast ask email. Actually, I do want to hear about um, the social proof part, but you just reminded me of a story just to talk about the power of ask. So I went, uh, Willie Geist from the Today Show, he was on my podcast, and we're friends from college, and everyone kept asking me, like, when are you going to get Willie on the show? And I had like four episodes up, and I'm like, I'm not going to ask Willie because I'm the same way. I don't want to ask for a favor. I feel like it, I'd I- rather just ask you as much as a, a lateral way as possible, where suddenly you're not helping me. Because if you ask for too much of a favor from someone, then it feels like they're putting themselves out. And then it's hard to maintain a relationship in some ways because if you screw up the favor, you know, it just seems like there's, for me, I don't like the risk. I'd rather ask at the right time. And so I'm all about timing with, with people. And so I, I had the same dilemma. I'm like, what do I do? But I, I, I also, I'm also big in the context with the ask, like for you, you know, directly, I reached out after AJ had recommended, I talked to you and with Willie, you know, we were going to go back to Vanderbilt for college. And we, I was at homecoming with a bunch of his friends and I talked to them. And so I reached out and said, Hey, I just saw your buddies at homecoming. We'd love to get you in the podcast. I'm going to New York in a few weeks. And he wrote back in you know, two minutes happy to do it. You know, come to Thirty Rock and we'll talk. And I also had context because the book that he wrote called Good Talk Dad. Um, it's about him and his dad, Bill Geist, and growing up together and, you know, as a father son and their relationship, it's really funny. Um he wrote a, a chapter about our fraternity and this party we had, whatever, it was really funny. And so I wanted to talk about that as well, and I knew like our college friends would appreciate it. And then I also have a podcast and I felt like I talked to guys like Adam Grant who actually had an appearance on the today show where Willie Geist interviewed him. So I had like three direct contextual reasons for me to reach out. And I always feel like that's, um, at least for my style important because context is so integral when you're trying to get someone to help you or you are trying to somehow, you know, convince them to be a part of, uh, something big that you're working on that you really strongly believe in.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, I had a similar experience. I, I grew up with uh Jim Norton from, from fourth grade on. He's a, a comedian.
0: Yeah, oh he's on opening Anthony and Yeah, yeah.
1: He replaced um I guess either Anthony oh he he replaced Anthony. And um uh he's like
0: he probably one of the more like blue, you know, pushing the envelope of like of uh of obscenity comedian out there.
1: Oh yeah, and we were—I mean, we were knew each other very well. Like we literally grew up together. And uh, but I, but still, I was afraid to ask him to come on my podcast. But I shouldn't have been. You know, sometimes the the fear is irrational. Like maybe you shouldn't have been so nervous about asking your friend to be on your podcast. Like 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 Jim. When I, I literally from fourth grade to twelfth grade, we grew up together, and. I was always telling him you should be a comedian. Like he, everybody was telling him that he was. So- oh, really? Is
0: that funny back then?
1: Oh my god! The first day he moved into town and he started school in the middle of the year, so it's like what that awkward period. Uh, but the second he sat down and he had to introduce himself to everybody, he was so funny. The entire class was cracking up, and the first thing we all said to him, even the teachers, like, "You're going to be a professional comedian when you grow up." So it's interesting. A lot of people think they're funny, um, but it's interesting to see the difference between funny and someone who's really got like the skill.
0: I used to do stand-up comedy, and me laughing with you in a conversation, I used to do open mics on, in Washington, D.C., and I, my peak was the, the D.C. improv. And me being funny with you, you being funny with me is so different than you being funny in front of 50 strangers that had a bad day of work, three beers in, and are pissed off that you know, they've spent 10 bucks on a comedy show where they're not laughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you have to have a certain uh, presence about you that, you know, you're really in some ways born with or you have to work really hard to train to get.
1: Yeah, I think I think both. I mean, I think um, if, if you, you know, the, I always really think about what's the relationship between talent and training and uh, uh, in cl- cases of like mastery. And I really think talent is just, a tiny spark, uh, that, you know, lights the fire and it's the, the, most of the fire is really training. And so, so Jim had that talent, which convinced him, boy, I really need to, to do this. But then it's 20 years of hard work after that.
0: So for your writing then, how, how much of you, you wrote for the street.com, you know, you've been writing in, in the business world, you know, since what the, I think the early 2000s, like So when you started to branch out from business writing uh, for more um, like traditional publishers like The Street and then doing it more like personnel-based, anecdotal-based, like what was that transition like? And were you good right away or does it matter if you're good if you're writing from the heart?
1: Um, So a couple couple different answers. One is uh, in the early 90s, actually, I spent a lot of time writing uh, really bad fiction. So when you first love something, of course, you're going to do it poorly because you love it. So you you know what the best should be like. But when you're just starting, you can't be the best. So you see the gap between what you're doing and what the best really is. So I was really – so in the early 90s, I was working really, really hard at being a good fiction writer. And I would read nonstop fiction, like high-quality fiction fiction. And, uh, and I was just, I was writing all day long every day, uh, without a break. I mean, I got thrown out of graduate school. I went from job to job, like all I would do is, is write. And then I went, what did you go to
0: grad school for?
1: Uh, I went to grad school for computer science. Okay. Uh, and then I went from, from that lifestyle to working at HBO, uh, where I thought I would get contacts in the writing business, but I still continued to write. And then for a few years only, really, I stopped to do, uh, some business stuff, and then I kind of then combine my writing interests with my business interests and And then later on, my writing just became much more I combine my nonfiction writing with kind of that fictional style. so I have this kind of very very uh, personal style. But I look back at my posts from like four or five years ago, and some of them are good, and some of them I can easily see how I would improve and and then I rewrite them and post them as improved versions. Uh, in some cases. So, so, so it's been an I, I, evolution I, I, all along. Like I think uh, I'm always, I always see writing that's better than mine. And I always try to get, I always try to get as good as possible.
0: How many hours a week do you spend writing?
1: Uh, I mean, already today I've spent six hours writing. And
0: and is that for the blog or are you writing other concepts and ideas?
1: Um, I wrote two posts on Quora. I wrote, Two posts for my blog, or three posts for my blog. One post I wrote for my blog I'll never publish. I just wrote it for the fun of it, and uh, I, I have I have thousands of unpublished posts in my for my blog.
0: What were they sitting? Just like in a file folder on your computer?
1: No, like in you know how in um, WordPress there's like an admin section. They're just kind of in my drafts.
0: Oh, they're in the drafts folder.
1: Yeah, like I can pull, I could hit publish on any of them, but. Sometimes I don't know if that's the direction I want to go, and then I, I. But I need to keep practicing. I need, you know, you can't, you can't stand still. Like you always have to try new things that are scary, and you know, sometimes things are. Uh, I, 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 on the one hand, I won't publish something that I'm not scared to publish. I, 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 I want to be a little nervous, but I don't want to be like, so scared. I'm thinking this is the stupidest thing in the world. So, but I just, I always practice.
0: Well, let's talk about that article um, about your daughter and how okay. she, you're hoping that you know she she's becomes a lesbian. And I just have my own daughter who's even one and a half right now, and it resonates. <laughs> yeah, you, so said, man, you, you said you got a lot some backlash on that.
1: Yeah, like a lot of people, like, even pe- friends of mine, were like, "Dude, that was a good article, but bad title." Or a lot of people were. I don't. I don't know who. Everybody was having a problem. Feminists were having a problem. Non-feminists were having a problem. Uh, Some for some reason, everyone was having a problem. Um, But I was just, again, talking from my own heart and experience. Like, A, you know, guys are really not that great uh, from my experience. Like, just most guys suck, you know, and I have as as well in in my life. And I I wrote that after a particular experience where uh, my – I I had gone to a friend of mine's birthday party and his son kind of made – a pass at my 13-year-old daughter or 12-year-old daughter at the time and uh, uh, it was really I had to like jump in and like get this kid who was partially you know had some problems he had some behavior problems I had to push him away um, from my daughter and just like guys suck from like the age of 10 on and so uh, I wrote that article.
0: Yeah, funny. I talked to my wife's cousins who are in college, and we're talking about how they're not on Tinder. And they they said, why would I be on Tinder? Like, college guys are the worst, you know? <laughs> yeah. I have to deal with them in person. Why would I want to deal with them on my mobile phone?
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine when my kids are that age. For one thing, I hope they don't go to college, but that's a whole other topic.
0: Yeah. Oh, you don't, did. You, have you written about that?
1: Oh yeah, I don't want. Um, I, I don't think college is good for anybody in in today's day and age. It's different. Maybe five, ten, twenty years ago. Well, actually, I I first started writing this in two thousand five, so I'm, it, it's different. Twenty, twenty five years ago, but in the past ten years, nobody no nobody should be going to college.
0: Is that because you think they can get technical skills on their own without paying for them?
1: They can get any skills they want on their own without paying for them. And uh, student loan debt now is $1.5 yeah. trillion. Dollars. Like, like you know, my kids show me colleges they want to go to. It's like I've never seen such prices before. You know, the college tuition have, has gone up faster than inflation every single year since 1977. So not just on average. Every single year, tuitions have gone up faster than inflation. So who is – who is paying for all this stuff? What ends up happening is um, the government says, oh, don't worry about it. We'll give you the money. And then, then the government says, oh, you have to pay this back. I don't, you, you, can't, you can't switch careers now. We just paid for you to have a career as a nurse or a lawyer. You can't switch careers now. Uh, you have to pay us back first. And they won't let you get rid of that debt in bankruptcy or anything. They'll seize your assets and they'll, they'll seize your straight from your income. Even if you declare bankruptcy, and, and and student loan debt comes before IRS debt, even, and uh, uh, according to the government, so they're 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 brutal, and meanwhile the average person in today's world switches careers fourteen different times, so it's we're we're creating a generation of, of young people who are totally screwed, and I ask my kids, they don't, they don't believe me, of course, because they're being rebellious. And they say, well, you have to have a, that piece of paper. This is my 13-year-old arguing with me now. You have to have that piece of paper to get a job. And I'm like, who is even telling you this? Like, is it a guidance counselor? Because they're paid to tell you this because that's how their school gets funding from the government is by how many kids go to college from their school. So don't you – know, question the agenda. I have no agenda. I want what's best for my 13-year-old. So – question the agenda of the people who tell you these things is maybe it's someone who spent a lot of the money on college so they want to justify their own choice by telling you to go to college you know just question everything because yes, I, I,
0: I, the, sorry go ahead
1: well i told her whatever you want to be in life you could you could tell me anything you want to be in life even a doctor and i will help you figure out how to get a good amount of your training much faster much cheaper totally legally Without immediately going into college uh, when you're 18 and have no clue what you want to do in your life.
0: Yeah, I mean at this point, you're right. There's so many other avenues, and it's all about the agenda of someone who's got their their job as a college counselor is to recommend colleges because that's what they get paid for to help you get into colleges. Like with that, their whole business world revolves around you going to college.
1: Right, and like, then you know, funny thing is, so then. A question that every 100 of people ask me this question. Well, do you want to be operated on? Do you want to have brain surgery? Uh, or you know, they, they ask this: Would you rather have brain surgery from someone who went to Harvard Medical School or from someone who didn't go to college? And it, you know, it's totally a bogus question because we're not talking about me. We're talking. I went. You know, I already. Uh, I'm not talking about my happiness. I'm talking about the happiness of a child right now who's 18 years old. So. Uh, you know who cares who operates on me I'm, I want my daughters to be happy so I don't want them to go to college like that's really the question it's it's not I don't want to force a bunch of kids to like go to college just so I could have brain surgery later on like I would just <laughs> as soon you know not have brain surgery just let me I'm, die or whatever
0: I'm pretty confident that well have brain surgeons that are like robots in 10 years so
1: yeah everything <laughs> you know we don't and anyway, if someone, I would rather have someone who did a thousand brain surgeries than someone who just graduated yeah. Harvard uh, Medical School. And then they'll say, "Well, you need degree." That that's just a law. So okay, yeah. if the law changed, you're you're talking about something as a law. I don't want anyone to break the law, but and I don't want my children to break the law, but I want my children to have the best opportunity for success. They don't want to be doctors, so they shouldn't go to college because. If by law their chosen profession doesn't require them, why should they spend two hundred thousand dollars on a, on getting into debt?
0: So, have you always thought like this way of like, let's challenge the status quo of how people think conventionally? Like, why are we going to college? Who's gonna in the end is the government making this decision for us? Because they're the ones that are you know controlling the loans. Is it you know you're talking about just the college counselor in general? You talk about how I think the quote was your boss doesn't give a shit about you or your boss doesn't care about you when you work at a corporation, like you mentioned in your, in your book about freelancers and empowering yourself to control your own career. Like, have you always, you know, sort of challenged the conventional thinking even throughout your life?
1: No, not at all. Which is, which is in part, how I came to this is I realized how many mistakes I made. You realize that you make a mistake not when you're in the middle of the mistake but afterwards. And and then you try different things and you realize, oh, you know, this worked and this didn't. So for instance, I've owned a house but I i don't think anyone should ever buy a house. I think it's like the most horrible decision you can make is to buy a house. Um, no one should go to college. I went to college. Uh, I don't think – I think it's a horrible decision to make to go to college I've been an employee. I've been an entrepreneur. I've been a solopreneur, you know, meaning kind of like doing my own thing and having multiple sources of income. Uh, so I kind of have experience across the full spectrum. And, you know, speaking of college, you know, I majored in computer science. I, my first job as a programmer uh, was outside of the academic context was at HBO. And I was here I had majored in computer science at an Ivy League school. Then I went to one of the best, like probably the top three grad school in the country for computer science. And then I get a job at- What each, was that? Uh, excuse me?
0: What, Would you go to Carnegie Mellon?
1: Yeah, I went to Carnegie Mellon for computer science. Uh, uh, great grad school, like a billion different companies have come out of, uh, like everybody I went to class with became a billionaire after that, uh, except me, because uh, I got thrown out probably. But uh, then I get a job <laughs> at HBO. And, did,
0: did you get thrown out? Yeah,
1: yeah, because I was writing fiction every day.
0: Oh my gosh, that's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, so, uh, but my my like the guys. Was it was,
0: was it a mistake to go there? You think?
1: Um, no, because uh, I mean, in, it's hard to say. I don't know if anything is is you, you know. I can't predict what would have happened like Otherwise,
0: the, do you think that shapes your opinion about college in general? That maybe it's partially. You know, oh, yeah, because,
1: the, oh, yeah, because, because yeah. of what I'm about to tell you. So then I – so, so I've, I had like maybe my 10,000 hours of programming experience between college and grad school. Then I get a job in the real world and my programming was so bad they actually had to send me to a remedial school for programming just so I could learn the basic skills to keep my job. And I was the lowest guy here I had just come from grad school at like one of the best places, and, and and so on. And I was the lowest guy on the totem pole, but still, I was so bad uh, that I, they were either going to fire me and about, or they said, "Why don't you go two months to?" I had to go down to um, this, these classes that AT and was teaching about programming in order to catch up to everybody I was working with. So, so all that all that money I had spent. You know, and I, I paid for my college completely um, and paid back my debt completely. Uh, and then I grad school, I had a scholarship. Uh, because I was so good at programming, I had a full scholarship. And um, none of that, all of that was worthless. Like I had to actually go to remedial school to learn how to program afterwards.
0: And just start from the very, very beginning.
1: From the very beginning.
0: I mean, you're not even saying like you you had to like take a crash course for –
1: no, yeah. I, I learned uh, no skills that were useful in the real world.
0: yeah, that's, that's common.
1: I, I, I built an operating system you know while in grad school, but it still wasn't useful for what actually, I actually had to do in the real world.
0: And And now most, you know most colleges like I had somewhat of a practical major. It was organizational development, how people interact in a business environment, um, but a lot of people major in history and you know art history. And, okay, uh, but I,
1: okay. I had the most practical major of all. I was a computer programmer in right, right <laughs> I know, when, right still when the work internet out. was blowing up. <laughs> like I was it, and yet I still didn't get any useful skills.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, so I want to wrap up in a in a second, but I I wanted to just talk to you about advice you have for people listening because I think you know we hearing your story, it's phenomenal. I mean, this is I love this interview. This is what I really liked about it. I like when we were discussing about. The influencer economy and just people in general like we all have this hope or this thought that we don't know where it's life's going to end up it just happens we work hard whether it's my podcast you're writing and like that's like the beauty of you know choosing yourself or you know trying to build out your own platform or or, did you say seam or scene seam right like s-e-a-m okay scene. that's what i thought okay s-c-e-n-e so building out your own scene like all these great like it's almost like you just sort of wake up and you don't know what's gonna happen the next day, and when you work a traditional job or you work in methods where you're not necessarily questioning why you're there, whether it's college professionally even you know marriage it's it's like you 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 wake up and it's very ordinary, it's the same thing but if you if you go after it, you don't know what to expect, and I think there's there's something here that you capture with your writing and with your podcast where you're very smart. You have a lot of life experiences that have allowed you the opportunity now to write and to podcast. And you're in a position where you've had so much success and also failure that it, the success is rounded out. Like how, how would you, you know, give guidance to someone who's, you know, maybe in their twenties or, or hasn't had the life experience you have that is choosing themselves and just realizing, Oh my God, this is like such a long slog. Like I can't, get through. I can't make a podcast with a following. I can't write a book or I can't even choose myself with my career because I need, you know, a few, because everyone needs a few years experience of working professionally. Right. So,
1: well, well, uh, maybe yes, maybe no. But the, the first thing is don't get into that kind of, um, analysis paralysis. Like I can't, I can't, I can't, but there's a way to avoid that. And the way is, You know, to understand the the best predictor of a successful tomorrow, and I, I don't mean tomorrow in this generic future sense. I mean tomorrow. The best predictor of a successful tomorrow is having a successful today. And the only way to have a successful today, and I think anybody would agree to what I'm about to say, is make sure I try to improve a little bit in my physical health. So physical health is, you know, eating well, sleeping well, exercising. Uh, my emotional oh, I also improve a little in my emotional health. So you know, there's a saying: "Be the you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with." So start to uh, disengage from people who aren't so good for you, and re-engage or engage with people who are, you know, who you respect and trust, and who inspire you, and so on. So that's emotional health. Uh, me- creativity: try to, if, if at the very least, sit down with a pad every day and write down ten ideas. So today I wrote down 10 ideas for how Facebook could be better. I'm not going to send it to Facebook. It's just I'm exercising this creativity muscle. I also obviously spent some time writing today. Uh, so so I, I work a lot on that. And then um, gratitude. So the important thing about gratitude is not this kind of, uh, oh, it's always good to be grateful for your family and all that. It just – you can't be uh, grateful and anxious at the same time. And too many people are, you know, do what I call time is too many people do what I call time travel, uh, which is they're either regretting the past or they're anxious about the future. But that's only going to drain your strength from today. So the way to avoid time traveling is to just be grateful for what you have now. So whenever you notice your time traveling, just say, OK, I'm time traveling. I'm going to think of three things really quickly that I'm grateful for right now.
0: That's like uh, cognitive therapy.
1: I guess so. I, I don't know. Um, yeah.
0: I went to therapy for, I went to cognitive therapy once and they're all about the moments and like looking like in the, in the present as to like what you're, you've accomplished today or this hour or what you're proud of at this very place in time versus the paralysis.
1: Right. Because there's no way when I, when I started doing these four kind of aspects of health, I call this a, a daily practice for me. When I started doing that, my, every six months, my life is not only completely different, but totally would have been totally unpredictable. So I can't even describe how it changes so much every six months. And, but it just does, and so that's why oh I can't write a book because I'm not going to blah 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 for 20 years. You just don't know. Just focus on today. What you what you what you what feeds your creativity. What feeds your emotional health. What feeds your physical health. What feeds your gratitude, and you're going to be fine five years from now and you're going to be better 10 years from now it's all going to be good
0: and it's not a race you're not trying to sprint to this finish line tomorrow there's
1: there's never a race you know you're 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 dead tomorrow
0: (laughs) um awesome well that's a that's a really good note to end on i think uh i think this has been a phenomenal conversation i'm really glad we got to to chat
1: yeah thank you thank you ryan and um uh uh, good luck on, on all of your podcast guests. You, you have a great list.
0: The great list. I got a, a book I'm in the process of writing. I'll keep you updated on that. And, Definitely. Uh, and if you ever write the article about the art of the ask or the the uh, book around asking for, for help or for favors, I would love to participate.
1: Okay, excellent. Thank you.
0: I think that's a great idea. So take care, my friend. Thank you so much. I'll let you know when it's up.
1: Okay, talk to you later.
0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. That was James Altucher. I loved that conversation. One of my favorites because... You want to talk, Julia? Can you talk? One. Can you say something? Can you say hi? Can you say hi? So I'm with my daughter right now. We're in the backyard. There are planes going overhead. James was great because he talks about finding your scene. you got to find your group, your creative cohort, your people, your buddies, your guys, your gals that help you launch yourself and choose yourself in the end. And it's important you always have a group of folks that are professionals and take what they do very seriously. And my daughter is trying to grab this microphone. You got it, Julia. Can you talk? Can you say hi? Can you say hi? Can you, can you say hi? Can you say hi. She does not want to say hi. She just wants to grab the mic. So, uh, yeah, that was phenomenal. I actually it, it wanted James on the show for so long. And he was great. Really inspiring, very open and honest. Uh, I loved having his daughter be a part of the conversation because I have a daughter myself, as you just heard, Julia. She's trying to uh, grab the microphone as we speak. That's Julia. It's her first debut appearance. Trying to uh, get her on the podcast at 55 number episode. Episode 55 is really a good one to get her on. So uh, anyway... Having a good time back here at uh, Influencer Economy HQ. So I uh, wanted to make a quick announcement. If you're listening still, I have, a, I have a project I'm launching. I have a podcast network I'm putting out into the universe uh, this summer. So if you're listening to this, this debuted on June 23rd. Throwing out a podcast to the universe later this summer, which is my second podcast. I will be rolling out up to five shows over the next six and seven months. Cannot wait for the world to hear these shows. I'm already banking the interviews. They will all be with uh, Q&A subjects uh, as well as scripted episodes that I hope you guys enjoy. I'm working really hard on these shows. I think there's a massively open opportunity for podcast networks to come out and create consistently great and amazing content. I love to think of myself as someone who can create these shows with the help of you all listening and sharing and giving me valid feedback because in the end... The community of the show is like another participant, another guest, another host. So I look at it like my friend Tom Merritt said that the community is the third host, and that's what you all are. So if you want to hit me up, Ryan, at InfluencerEconomy.com, I usually respond to my emails as soon as I can. I also have Julia. She'll help me respond to some emails. Do you have anything else to say, Julia? Can you say hi? Can you say hi? She's putting the microphone on her On her lips, but she's not speaking. So we have time to get her on the show in the future. I'm sure she'll make a great guest. And uh, some good upcoming episodes. Uh, If you missed last week's, it was Jamel Hill from ESPN. We talked about her, his and hers podcast for episode number 45. Uh, I have AJ Jacobs from the Digital Global Family Reunion. John Corcoran from Smart Passive Income. Also got some great feedback from my dad this week. He thinks I should be blogging more. So I'll be prioritizing the blog, and that's going to be something I have been really wanting to focus on more, and I have a bit more time on my hands to make that work. Also, we'll be doing more email marketing as well in these coming months. And finally, the book is in a good place. I'm uh, working on a few chapters about Freddie Wong. Oh, we got, we got Julia. Say hi. Freddie Wong and Bernie Burns, are past guests that are going to be chapters, as well as uh, Veronica Belmont. And Tom Merritt, they have a chapter I'm working on as well. So hopefully we'll be getting the pre-order page for that up very, very, very soon. So you can sign up for that on the InfluencerEconomy.com website. So things are moving quickly. I got Julia helping me at the helm. Is that a ball? Say hi. Got Julia helping me. Uh, My wife could not be more supportive. I'm so grateful that I married Catherine. And uh, in the end... It's all about what you put, your, yourself, you put yourself into positions where you want to succeed and you work as much as possible to set yourself up. Hopefully you'll get some luck and good things and great things will happen. So thanks for listening. I uh, really appreciate this time you're giving me. So keep it going. Heading over to Duke Zebert's for some chicken in the pot.